0: You're listening to the Star Wars Reports Rebels Roundtable, the official Star Wars Rebels discussion podcast of StarWarsReports.com. Join us each week as we discuss each new episode. We want to hear what you think of this new Star Wars series. Send us an email or an MP3 at RebelsRoundtable at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com rebelsroundtable Rebels Roundtable, on Twitter at Rebels Round, or on our website, RebelsRoundtable.com. It's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So strap yourselves in and welcome to the show.
1: Hello, and welcome to another fun-filled episode of the original Rebels Roundtable, the official podcast of the Star Wars Report covering all things Rebels animated series. I'm Jonathan, and tonight we are discussing Season 2, Episode 7 of Rebels Stealth Strike. And joining me, we have Barrent. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, everybody. It's good to be back. And hello to the surprise guest. Nathan. Hey, everybody. Good to be
2: back. And Mark and guest. Hey, greetings, everyone. It's Mark here, as always. And with us today is my 13-year-old daughter, Taylor. Hello.
1: Well, Taylor, welcome. And before we start talking about the episode, Taylor, why don't you give us a little bit of information about you for our listeners? Are you a Star Wars fan like your father?
3: I'm a Star Wars fan. I'm just not as big of a Star Wars fan as him, but yeah.
1: (laughs) Okay, and have you been watching Rebels since it began?
3: Not every episode, but I have been watching the last few.
1: Okay. And what would you say? Are you a fan of Rebels, kind of middle of the road, or you dislike more than you like?
3: I'm a fan of Rebels.
1: Okay, good to hear. <laughs> so, as I said, today we are discussing Episode 7, Stealth Strike. And I'm going to kick off by giving my initial impressions of this episode. By far, my favorite episode of Season too. I like so much about this. I mean, always being the tech guy, I loved the Interdictor Cruiser being introduced. There's a lot of history in that ship. And I think the dynamic between Rex and Kanan, to me, felt genuine. And I really, really enjoyed this episode for so many reasons that I'm sure we'll get into as we discussed. So, Baron, how about you? Well, you know you were going to be in for a good ride when
4: the first scene you see is you're in hyperspace you know so they're already flying so you know you're getting ready for something big i enjoy seeing the rebels part of the rebels i enjoy seeing how it's all going to be coming together for episode four so this is very enjoyable you know i'm an easy guy to please when it comes to rebels
5: so you know i'm happy nathan enlighten us I got to agree with Jonathan. I think this is the best episode we've gotten so far with season two. It wasn't super heavy on lore or anything, but we got the interdictor. We got some great action, some really, really funny moments. I'm a little bit concerned thinking that maybe this possibly should have been slid in before we got Wings of the Master because it does continue the whole Rex Kanan frustration that I had kind of hoped we were past after a couple episodes since it hadn't really been mentioned since Brothers of the Broken Horn. So maybe flip the order, but nice to see that resolved. And Ezra is in rare form in this episode. I can only hope that if this episode is a showing of Ezra's prowess that they keep it at this level and they don't wind up turning him into someone who's incredibly inconsistent. Because in this episode, I think Ezra could have given Return of the Jedi Luke a run for his money, if not whooped him. So, great episode of the season, but I'm curious where they go from here with certain aspects of story threads they've either set in motion or wrapped up.
1: Mark, why don't you tell us what you thought?
5: Oh
2: man, this one had the humor. It easily is one of my top two. Actually, no, I'm going to say this is number one. I'm just going to go out and full on say it. And the reason why was my favorite line was, did you see them? We were so outnumbered. It was a a huge firefight. You guys were awesome. Thanks. All I saw was you. When that moment happened, I mean, I'm still giggling on the inside. It's so funny. My daughter and me, we were watching this drove my wife nuts like 38 times i almost vomited four different times i laughed so hard every time and when we get to it again uh, i can't wait to talk about it it was just so funny
1: so mark gives it two thumbs up and a puke good to know and taylor why don't you let us know what you thought
2: i
3: actually really liked this episode and not only because of my dad almost puking himself to death but it was so funny Because when Chopper throws Ezra kind of under the bus, and it's just super funny. Because we watched it like over 13 times in a row. And yeah, like my dad was saying, it was kind of driving my mom crazy. And so it was even more funny.
1: (laughs) I would have done a lot to be a fly on the wall for that one, Mark.
2: She actually videotaped it. So if I can get it (laughs) off her phone, I might actually share it.
5: I've got to ask 13 times. Are we talking the whole episode 13 times, or this was the same scene 13 times? Because it was sort of a this is so funny. I need to rewind it. Kind of like watching the end of four rooms or something.
2: Yes, four rooms. No, absolutely. This was four rooms. This was the misbehavior room. I mean, I have not (laughs) laughed that hard since that room when that door opens and Antonio's there and he's holding the dead stripper's leg. (laughs) And he pulls the needle out. I mean, that was that moment for me. I left, I that yes, over and over again, yes, absolutely. And Four Rooms is exactly the humor level that it struck for me. That is the number one laugh my butt off moment of my life. And this moment in Star Wars is that all over again. I died. When Chopper threw him, as Taylor put it, under the bus, I mean, I was vomiting at that point. I was just laughing so hard. I'm like, (laughs) my wife's like, you gotta calm down. And I just kept playing it. I'm like, this is just too much.
5: Man, so basically one of the things that Chopper says, one of his, wah, 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 must have been, a
0: dead whore! (laughs) (laughs)
5: Don't call her that! For those who haven't seen Four Rooms, are out there going,
0: what the, what are they
2: talking about, man? It's on Netflix, go watch it, thank yourself later.
5: Funniest Uh, movie
1: moment ever. So, diving back into Rebels... (laughs) This episode, as Baron said, starts out almost in the middle of the action. We have Commander Sato and Ezra in one of the blockade runners going to investigate a missing Rebel Patrol. And Ezra states that there's nothing out there, but somehow this ship has disappeared. And we get introduced, or I guess reintroduced, for those of us who have been following the Expanded Universe for a long time, the Imperial Interdictor Cruiser. And, oh man, I love this ship. I love this idea that the interdictor is something that can create a gravity well to pull ships out of hyperspace. And in a Star Wars universe where everybody is traveling through hyperspace, it's the ideal weapon. It is a little different here than in previous incarnations because it looks like this gravity well is almost more like a targeted weapon. Like you aim it at a specific ship and it pulls it in. Mm -hmm. But even so, I just think this is so cool.
2: That ship is beyond sick. And the way that it would drag the ships out of hyperspace, the look of when they would drop out. Nathan and me, you know, we've talked on Beyond the Films about hyperspace, how the traveling of it has went from just the crazy blurry lines to also having that Star Trek starfield in the background as well. And they've kind of combined the two. And you see that now in all the new shows and stuff. But the way that ship dropped out of out of hyperspace looks so cool. And I got to say, I love Sato's ship. I mean, yeah, granted, it's just a Carillion Corvette. but the way that the A-Wings dock on it and it's all blue, just, I love
5: watching that ship flying around. The interdictors have always been a favorite of mine just conceptually, as Jonathan said I mean, there's no worse thing that you could probably throw out there, except maybe you know, gravity well slash mines or something you could throw out there in Star Wars to hamper transportation, and that's one of the things of warfare right? Control the routes your enemy can take. If you've got enough interdictor cruisers around the right location, you can fortify it almost indefinitely. So to see it finally make its way here into Rebels, granted in a bigger form it's a much larger ship than what we saw back in the Legends continuity, but to see them bring that in is awesome, and they gave due credit. If you watch the Rebels Recon, they talk about the ship and point out, well, they get it kind of wrong, but they talk about how the ship came from the Imperial Sourcebook in the old uh, West End Games RPG. It was actually mentioned first- And I think it was the rules reference or rules companion and then showed up in the Imperial Sourcebook. But we're talking 1989. We're talking that limbo period before the official launch of the expanded universe that became Legends and built on all that RPG stuff. Yet after, you know, Marvel had finished up its run and even droids and Ewoks were all kind of in the books. It's this long-standing idea... That is just so ingrained in Star Wars now that I'm kind of surprised we didn't see it more often in these materials. I mean, this would have been a great thing to use perhaps in Clone Wars, but you really can't do that without introducing it much, much earlier. It's a fascinating vessel to finally see brought into the show, and to have it be a prototype, so they can't use it too often, it can't become the Empire's crutch to use, is terrific. It's just like a lot of the other technology we're seeing. Don't overuse it. Give us a reason why you can't. And they did. It's just a prototype. Yeah,
4: this is the second time we've kind of seen this being pulled out of hyperspace with that kind of really cool effect. So I'm kind of glad that they did that again and they... It goes with continuity. The Empire, this is the second time that we've seen the Empire kind of develop a weapon that can be used in hyperspace. We saw in in season one that they kind of learned how to track people through hyperspace, which was kind of new. So the Empire is trying to branch out on their weapons here in Rebels, and I appreciate what they're doing
1: here. And the thing that I like is that they establish that this isn't something that the Imperials have pulled out of their hat, that this is something they've been working on for a period of time because Sabine was aware that when she was in the Imperial Academy that they were experimenting with research toward this type of weapon.
2: Yeah, that was great. I mean, it provided another opportunity for Sabine to actually be the one that gives you the plot that moves you forward. I like that because it also adds to, as you say, her background. And that's the one thing I'm chomping at the bit for
5: with this season. I feel like they promised a lot with a little bit of teasers. I fear that mainstream audiences are going to see that and say, oh, well, that's convenient. She heard about this secret project while she was at the Academy a couple years ago. <laughs> Contrivance. But... Again, they kind of hint at this in the Rebels Recon where they talk about, they were answering a Twitter question about, well, wait a second, you know, if you go into the Imperial Academy when you are age 15, how could Sabine have been at the Academy and then been a bounty hunter and then been a rebel with the crew of the Ghost by the time she's 16 when we meet her in Spark of Rebellion? Or Art Attack, I guess, technically. And the answer basically was that she is someone who is somewhat of a prodigy. The more we find out about her, the more we're going to see that she was sort of this prodigy within the Imperial Academy, which explains why she would get early admittance and probably be involved in projects like these. I'm kind of thinking back to our very first regular episode, Droids in Distress. Remember that she made this big deal of trying to get Minister Tua's trust so she could find out where the Disruptors were going to wind up being so they could jack them all. And in the process, she talks about being this high-ranking Academy cadet. And I think at the time, we assumed that was a cover. But I'm wondering if when she was talking about that, I mean, she was talking about maybe even part of her own past. You know, tell the truth and just twist it just a little bit to make it a lie, to make it believable. Because she certainly does, the more we learn about her, the more it seems like we're going to wind up finding that she is a lot more of a, a technically savvy character than we ever thought we think of her as the art person but i'm wondering if if she is significantly more dangerous technologically than we ever gave her credit for see i was
2: wondering if she was going to be all excited with chopper's explosion at the end like good work chopper
5: (laughs) and it was a really pretty explosion too lots of blues and such in there kind of like the gravity wells were changing the dynamics of the explosion from what we've seen which was pretty cool
2: Speaking of Sabine and art, though, when she did that little decal of Rex and Kanan on the inside of the ship, dude, that, I don't know about you, Baron, but that was tripping an alarm with me, man. I was like, wait, if any Imperials walk onto this shuttle and they see that door close and they see Kanan, that's going to raise a flag, man. That's just got to raise a flag. That wasn't necessarily the most tactical of choices, although it was a funny one. <laughs>
4: and her art sucks. I mean, come on. It's terrible. <laughs> just-
2: She's got that mini Marvel kid cover art going, you know, or Katie no, Cook can ta- draw kind of art.
4: Yeah, it's Katie Cook is a legend. Taylor, look at this art. Come on, we live in a world of Chris Brown, and look, this is what we're getting here. It's terrible.
3: Oh, I love how they both look. Like at first, Hera, she was mostly my favorite, but then she kind of like drifted off, and now Sabine's my favorite. And I love Sabine's hair because it makes all the colors blend in almost.
2: But as for the art on the wall, what do you think?
3: I didn't see that. You weren't paying attention to that part?
5: (laughs) Oh, she missed that part. So we didn't see that 13 times. So the interesting thing, of course, is that there really isn't a lot of Sabine in the episode. Sabine gets to be sort of in the background giving them that information. And this really is sort of the like a buddy cop. Type of thing to finally give Kanan and Rex a chance to have to work together. And you know, so when they get the team together, you know, it's like, oh, we're going to go save them. Like, ah, no, no, Kanan, you take Rex. And it's Hera making the decision. I kind of felt like this was sort of the mom saying, no, you two kids who can't get along, you're going to go on this errand together because you are going to learn to work together, misters. Anybody else get the parenting vibe oh.
2: from that? Oh, absolutely. This was the whole Zeb and Ezra, you guys got to go off all over again. And and one of the things I loved, the back and forth banter between these two, there was the one where Kanan's like, Z- how is the Emperor keeps letting us steal these things? And Rex is like, oh, I thought it was the same one when they're talking about the shuttle. There was- So many great zingers in this episode that I kid, you know, I mean, that I I get why my daughter was ready with the camera because I was rolling through this. I mean, I was hooked. Anytime you throw Rex into these episodes, I am paying attention to it more than ever before. So, you know, when they get to the end and stuff like I came to tears a few different times, I got to be honest. You know,
1: and it's funny for me to watch the dynamic between Kanan and Rex, because you would think, and I think you said this earlier, Nathan, that the two of them would have been over it by now, but obviously they're not. And not to put too indelicate a point on it, Kanan's a jerk. (laughs) Yeah. He treats Rex like crap. I'm really surprised Rex doesn't turn around and go, you know what? Order 66 seemed like a good idea and shoots it. I mean,
5: because he's being a douche. Or as they say on Naboo, because of that E on the end, a (laughs) douché.
4: This was actually one of my favorite parts of the episode, because you have Rex and Kanan going off, and they're going to have their adventure. Now, it's not the Obi-Wan, Luke kind of vibe that you get when Kanan and Ezra go on and do something, and it's not like the Princess Leia vibe you get when it's Hera or Sabine doing something heroic. This is something new. And we have a personality for Rex. Rex is in charge. Rex is gruff. He's kind of morphed into kind of this happy, you know, kind of happy he didn't die in the war type of guy. And he's really settled in with the family here. And so I was kind of excited. This is a whole new dynamic of adventure. It's not someone who's learning from someone else, usually, how, how it happens. You know what I mean? It's two guys who are basically on the same level going out to do
5: some damage. So I, I like this. It's funny you mention that he's kind of gotten into this just sort of happy-to-be-alive thing because I remember when we were talking about the Lost Commanders, how it was kind of interesting to see Gregor come back, and Gregor was just crazy goofy. And it turns out that Gregor didn't wind up joining the Rebellion, as we found out with Rebels Recon a while back, and that kind of took out that goofy, holy crappies, partly insane dynamic from the group. But now here we have Rex. You know, whenever the whole Ezra blasts both of them and then lies about what really happened until Chopper shows the truth and Mark is trying not to puke. You have that moment where Rex goes, (laughs) you shot us? He's like, (laughs) you you should have said it to kill. You know, Rex Rex is now becoming the funny, I don't want to say unhinged one, but he has a lighter mood about the whole thing than the rest of the team does. Who would have expected Rex to become the wise ass of the group? (laughs) Certainly not me. That's for sure.
1: Well, there was another thing that occurred with Rex this episode that really had me scratching my head. It's an offline, it's a throwaway, but when Kanan and Rex are approaching the interdictor and Rex is giving all these codes and numbers and everything else to get the interdictor to let them dock, it's a throwaway line, as I said. He goes, well, Cody and I invented most of these things. And it's interesting to me because we know that Cody obeyed Order 66 and Rex didn't. It makes me wonder what the reconciliation is there. I mean, because I always got the impression that Rex and Cody were pretty close.
5: But wouldn't this, I mean, couldn't this have just been codes that they developed during the Clone Wars that have been that been carried on at the Empire? I didn't get the oh, sense no, that there was anything. Oh, I
1: think that they were. But it just, that made me think. Wow. I mean, what happened
2: with the relationship between those two? Yeah. See, I, I came at it from a different angle. I was more like, oh man, that means Rex is an invaluable source of so much information because, I mean, he was coming up with the protocols. I love that angle. And, and of course, Kanan leans over to Chopper. And he's like, this is what I hate, the protocol part. <laughs>
4: I thought it was awesome. Of course him and Cody came up with it. They had to invent the whole thing when it came to the Army of the Republic, you know, the Grand Army, of course. And I'm not so sure that Cody obeyed Order 66. He shot at Obi-Wan, but he didn't hit him.
5: So, you know, maybe Cody's still around somewhere. His inner stormtrooper came out and he stopped being able to hit the broadside of a barn, which is actually, it's funny that it just kind of you know, we're getting a lot of, of bits in here because there's a lot of funny moments as they're working their way through the ship and all. But we already have a little bit of Rex's disdain for stormtroopers as an inferior type of soldier. You know, the, I hope you brought a better class of soldier than those stormtroopers back whenever we first see him again. But we get even knocks on the armor, you know, that this armor can't block anything, you know, and... It's, it's just, it's funny that they're able to make those jokes because you know that to an extent, a lot of that is the fans having watched the movies over the years saying, man, these stormtroopers suck and they seem to fall pretty easily. And it's become like this self-referencing type of thing where now it's the characters in universe talking about how the stormtroopers can't measure up to the clone troopers. I like that kind of humor because it sort of feels like they're giving a quick nod to the fans saying, you know, we're fans too. We're right there with you. And it played out so
2: well when they had that scene during the firefight and Kanan's like, yeah, you can't hit anything. Rex rips
5: the helmet off. these helmets. He throws it down and starts shooting good. You're like, yes. (laughs) Like Rex, do you miss your helmet that you had where you had that exact type of helmet, but you merged it with your old one? So you had the visor still. Is that your issue? Well, no. I mean, you know, kind of looking in universe,
1: you have to remember that there are far, far are far more stormtroopers than there were clone troopers. And in order to produce material and the armor and the weapons, there's no way that they're going to be as high quality as but what the clone troopers got.
5: Do we know that?
1: Do you we know, know there's more some...
5: stormtroopers than, than clone troopers? Because they were churning out clone troopers like mad. You know what? It took them longer to grow. They're conscripting. They're
1: bringing 14, 15-year-old kids in to start training them as stormtroopers.
4: I, I, yeah, the, I think you're all missing the point. I think the big question here is, is it still
5: called Plasteel? I think in canon, yes, it is. I think they referenced (laughs) Plasteel. But I mean, the idea that the Stormtroopers are inferior, I mean, maybe in numbers, maybe there are more of them. They're bringing in people, they're conscripting people, they're bringing in draftees because and they even said this in one of the the more recent books. In fact, I think it was the same. It was uh, the Servants of the Empire series. It ties in to characters we've actually seen on the show. But they point out that, you know, the Empire started to realize that the Confederacy a few times tried to create a virus to go after all the clones at once because they were just clones. They could use a targeted, some kind of bioweapon, so they started conscripting. I wouldn't imagine that conscripting is going to give you more soldiers than cloning would. But even were that not the case, you know, we could debate that point. The conscripts, they aren't bred for war. So the conscripts are going to be a lower class of soldier to an extent. Then what the clones were actually provides a thread into what we get with Servants of the Empire, because there is a man whose whole goal within the Empire—in fact, he's apparently a relative probably of General Hux that we see in Force Awakens—is trying to basically create this small group of cadets, including at one point Zare Leonis, he thinks— to basically say, from now on, you are going to be grown to be soldiers, and when you have children the way we want you to have children, those children will be raised as stormtroopers. And sort of trying to get back to this Kaminoan way of, you know, soldiers through breeding. And it's an interesting thing that they're not ignoring it. They're not just saying, well, the stormtroopers, you know, because they used to say in the old, like, the stormtroopers are so feared throughout the galaxy. And we're like, they can't hit anything, and they're bumping their freaking heads. Well, see, I think like
2: to John's point, the difference here is when you clone them, you've got a time before that batch is ready. And then say, you know, for small numbers, we'll say 5,000 clones, you know, bam, in 12 months, you're going to need armor for 5,000 clones, but we're constricting. So if we get 25 people today, we're going to need armor for 25 of them today. And if we get 25,000 people tomorrow, well, we going to need that armor right now. So we need to crank this armor out kind of thing. I don't know, that. at least that's how my mind kind of rationalized the cheaper well, armor. Although from the Legends standpoint, they kind of gave us that too, that they were going with cheaper and cheaper
5: armor as it went along, which was why Rex had cobbled together his. Well, there is an issue of quality standards of Stormtrooper armor, and some of it actually being sabotaged, I believe, or at least work stoppages screwing it up in... Oh, I forget the name. It's one of the new short stories in the Rise of the Empire Omnibus that actually focuses on Tarkin and Vidian working together. So that does sort of make sense.
4: What's this new Imperial officer's name? Brom Titus. Brom Tyson. I like this guy. This guy, to me, is the epitome of someone who has risen in the ranks of the Empire. He's very cocky, you know, very understanding of the power that he has at his command Always underestimating. I like that he knows who, who Ezra is. As soon as Ezra says, you know, I'm Job of the Hutt, and he says, Oh, you're a little small for a hut.
5: Can we pause there? Because how stupid is Ezra? This is like twice in the span of just this season. He'd said that his name is something they know he absolutely is not. In this case, he says Job of the Hutt when they know he's not a hut, and he's used that before. Before this, he said he was Lando. Ezra needs to just say his name is freaking Bob or something, because he's stupid.
4: They already know he's Ezra Bridges. <laughs> no.
5: Oh, no, what he needs to do next
2: is uh, uh, sheev Palpatine Jr.
4: But I like this guy, <laughs> you know, and I hope that we see more of this kind of some of the best characters in the Star Wars movies are the generals, you know, when Vader's choking them out. And
1: so to keep that tradition going in Rebels, I like it. They needed to introduce another Imperial officer to screw up because cows couldn't really afford to screw up anymore.
5: And didn't it seem like when Callus showed up at the end, he had a smirk on his face like, see, I didn't screw up this one, you arrogant prick. Oh,
1: yeah, absolutely. Now, who did the Admiral remind you guys of? Because I'm watching this. I'm trying to figure it
5: out. Who the heck does he remind me of? Because he looks like somebody. He was purposely designed to resemble many of the physical features of the extras used in the classic trilogy, particularly A New Hope, because of where they filmed in the UK.
2: Oh, I thought it was Doc Brown. <laughs> what? <laughs> he had that whole, Marty! I was just waiting for him to go off. Like, <laughs> I liked the fact that he was a new character, character model, you know, and, and they kept calling him the Admiral. I was like, man, what is his name? And I missed the Braum part. But at the end, I was like, oh, man, is this guy done? Or is he going to get a reprieve? Because, I mean, Callus came down pretty quick. He's like, triple the guard. And, and I mean, there was like no... If, ands, or doubts, you've got this Ezra, you need to get him on lockdown. He's going to get off your ship. And I like that at the end of the episode, Callus's status of Ezra was kind of right. Because at first I was like,
5: wait, you're kind of coming down on him a little hard, aren't you? Can we talk about Ezra here? Because Ezra was my one thing that had me scratching my head about this episode. He's really, really good in the episode. I mean, he's got, you know, I've got this. And he's bouncing across the walls and kicking the stormtroopers' butts to the point where even Santa's like, he's got this, which was hilarious. That cracked me up. And he's even saying, you know, I promise not to hurt you or kill you or whatever it is whenever I escape. And then he does it. Ezra is in rare form, but doesn't he seem like all, this is a big jump, like all of a sudden, Ezra is insanely good at what he's doing here as a Jedi, I dare say Kanan's level or above. It felt like this was a heck of a jump for his skills, and now I'm concerned that now that they've established this set of skills for him, that in future episodes, he's not going to be this talented, and we're gonna have continuity issues.
3: Um, what kind of confused me was that Ezra was kind of like, he's a kid and stuff. And then when the general said to watch out for him, and then later on when he was like telling the clone troopers that he wouldn't hurt them, that also really confused me because I didn't realize that Ezra was that good of a Jedi or a Jedi Padawan.
4: You know, they've done this before, Taylor, where, where we've seen Ezra control some cave beast. You know, that's something that Kanan can't do. And now he is like the bomb. You know, so I think that this is where he should be. And it is a little confusing. And I'm with you. It is a little confusing because just a couple episodes ago, he's kind of, am I doing the right thing? You know, maybe I want to go off and join Hondo and not be a Padawan, not be a Jedi, when clearly he's this gifted Jedi. So I think this is where he should be. And I think it would be a mistake to put him back to blocking milk cartons with Chopper on top of the ghost to do that again. So hopefully they just keep going. But I agree. He's, he's far exceeding Kanan right now. He's far exceeding Kanan.
2: See, I think it was a good natural progression of the character because you know, you watched him go out on his own before and he thought he knew what he was doing. And then he realized, well, he didn't know what he was doing so much. And then we watch him go out again and he's going out with Sabine and you know, he does take control. And even though he gets left behind, he still manages to, you know, arrive at the point where he needs to be. Everything went off without a hitch. And now he's being sent with the military group and Hera puts stock in him. And as soon as he is told that, He leans to the force, which is a great, I I love every time Ezra touches the force, the Ezra's force cue of the music there. And, you know, he notices, you know, something's about to happen, but I feel like because he was on his own and because the group put faith in him, that it was like that Koran horn moment in I Jedi, where, you know, once he was convinced he was going to die, like he was walking with the force. And I really felt that in a sense, that's what Ezra was doing, that he was in a position where he felt like he had the backup he needed, that he wasn't in any real danger. And because of that, he just kind of did what needed to be done. And I like, too, that when Kanan tells Santo, you know, Ezra's already escaped, he kind of does that. I I like that, too. Like, he has been showing us that he can take care of himself. He had been taking care of himself before he joined the Ghost crew. But we've seen him grow a lot in the last one and a half seasons.
1: Of course, the one time where he can't really take care of himself is where he follows Chopper's plan when they're trying to sabotage the interdictor. And that was the moment where I was laughing my butt off when Chopper goes, oh yeah, you distract them. Then he goes in and turns off the gravity and all the Imperial engineers are floating in the air and he's about to turn back on the gravity. And Ezra's like, no, don't do it. Don't you dare. Don't do it. (laughs) And He turns
5: it back on, Ezra comes crashing down, and then Chopper runs over his fingers. Yeah, hilarious, hilarious moment. Like, that's the kind of slapstick that I like, where it's slapstick, but it's more based on the character interaction than just, oh, look, he fell down, or oh, look, he rolled over his toes. It's because you know those characters, you know how that interaction plays between them, and you know, you know Chopper's going to hear something about it later. But doesn't this, though—I mean, next episode, if I'm understanding correctly, next episode brings the Inquisitors back. Doesn't this episode doesn't it like lower the stakes because the Ezra we're seeing here should have absolutely no trouble with either of those inquisitors? I
2: don't know if I'd go that far man. I, like I think it's a big difference when you're dealing with force trained inquisitors versus just a standard imperial crew. Are you saying good against remotes is one
5: thing, good against a living that's something else? Good against living with the force because that's their
2: ally.
1: We'll come back to it, but I mean, I'm so afraid of next episode because while the bits with the Inquisitors and Ahsoka and everything else look really good, there's also, I got the three men and a baby vibe, which scared me to death.
2: You know, some of the banter that we skipped over here was when Rex and Kanan get in the elevator and they're arguing over the button. Like I was that was another one of those spots like which button? I don't know which button. And then the Imperial guy gets in with them and he's commenting about Rex being tight in the stormtrooper. Stuff. And Rex, oh, I'll tighten your
5: face. <laughs> See, like, the way he's getting all mad was just classic. We're at the point where now, and I I think we sort of got to this point eventually with the Clone Wars, but it took us a long time. I think that we're at the point now where we know these characters well enough that this kind of humor is right on target for us as an audience. I don't know if this type of banter would have worked as well at the beginning of season one because you really didn't know them. Now it's just it's firing on absolutely all cylinders and cracking up the audience and almost making them puke. Apparently. Did it ever really feel like we got to this point with Clone Wars? I mean, I know that we got to an emotional impact point because, I mean, for me, watching Ahsoka walk away tore me up as I was going through my marathon recently. But I don't know that the humor level and the banter level and the familiarity with the characters and sort of laughing with them ever really hit this level with Clone Wars. I think Clone Wars was aimed to seven-year-old than this
2: one. I really think this one's aimed more at a more adult range. A lot of people still say, oh, well, Rebels is still a kid's show. And I'm like, it's at 930 on a school night. I mean, you know, there's a lot more going on this. I think, granted, all Star Wars is aimed at a broad range, but I think that that's a big key here.
1: No, I really do think that this episode showed that humor can work in this. Because it was seamless, it felt natural, it worked with the characters, and they weren't trying too hard. We've seen so many times where both this show and Clone Wars tried humor and it fell flat because it it felt like it was being shoved, kicked, and pushed, you know,
5: down our throats. Like, this wasn't... The comedy episode, but it was a really comedic episode, which is a distinction I think a lot of times Clone Wars didn't make. They wanted to give us funny episodes rather than funny elements in the episodes, and we got stuff like, you know, the droids bouncing around with the crazy tree people. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. Now, when Rex gets captured, that was one of the moments that emotionally jarred me when he decided to stay back to make sure that the mission went forward. One of the things that Ezra and Rex disagreed with Kanan about was destroying the interdictor. And Rex was like, no, we got to do this. So when he stayed behind, I was a little conflicted. And then when they're torturing him, that's when I broke, like when you heard him cry. But there was a moment where the Admiral talked about running Rex's number. And I was thinking to myself, what if that tripped a flag with Vader? Did any of you guys have any of those thoughts? I did, because now they
1: know that Rex is with the rebels. I mean, the Admiral said as much, that they have his number. So what is that going to change? Because, you know, Mark, you made the comment earlier that Rex is invaluable to the rebels. However, they now know that everything that Rex ever contributed is suspect. The other interesting thing that I found was when they've captured Rex, they give him the opportunity to rejoin. They give him the opportunity to go and train, and he easily rejects it. And the punishment that he's going to get from that admiral, which I just thought was evil in a way that we haven't really seen before, is like, well, then I'm going to kill you. But I'm going to do it in such a way that it's going to be disrespectful to a soldier. It's going to be, we're going to make sure you have a meaningless death.
2: Which was a really ballsy move on his part, too. He goes, you could wear that armor and be proud of your service again. And then Rex goes, oh, I'm proud of my service and I hate the
4: armor. I was going to say it's a pretty ballsy move, too, because aren't some of the clones still in the Empire right now? Isn't that wasn't that canon now that there's still some clones there, right? Mm -hmm. So so for him to be disrespectful to Rex like
5: this, he could have had a mutiny on his hands. I wonder to what degree, though, they would even look at Rex as a comrade-in-arms, in a sense, because Rex has been away from the Empire for so long. He's gone soft, physically, but he he walked away. And I remember thinking about—and it's it, talk about the turnabout— I think about the deserter with Cut Laquane back with his little family after winding up basically stranded on Saleucami. And then all of a sudden, here comes Rex bringing the war back to his doorstep. And Rex thinking about how he could never bring himself to walk away. And now here, Rex is the one who has walked away. He's put himself essentially into Cut's shoes. And when offered the choice of returning for different reasons, granted, makes the same choice that Cut did that he couldn't have understood a couple of decades ago back in the Clone Wars. Uh, There's some great juxtaposition going on when we look at the way characters are acting now versus the Clone Wars. Not contradictions, but juxtapositions of putting them in different situations that cause them to still be true to their character and yet make for some good irony and some amusement when we look back at what they've gone through earlier.
4: Going back to when you said, Mark, he got captured, I thought he was dead. I thought yeah. he was dead. Mm-hmm. There's, and and I was okay with it, and I was sad. I thought he was dead, especially when he yelled and they were doing the torture. I'm like, here it goes. It's going to go dark. We're finally going to have to lose someone. Because we lost an Inquisitor. You know, when these other two Inquisitors showed up, we're like, okay, these guys can die at any time. They haven't killed one of us yet. They can't keep Ahsoka and Rex and the rest of these people around. They can't do it. And I'm not sure if it's going to be Vader that's going to have to break him down, but somebody's going to have to die. And I thought he was dead.
2: Yeah, when that door closed and the interrogator droid moved in and you heard Rex scream, my heart was in my throat. That was the moment I broke. I mean, I was already welling up When Rex told Kanan to go and he shut the blast doors, you know, at that moment I was like, Oh my God. And then when they got him, I was, you know, my heart was already there, but when you heard him, I was convinced. I thought that was it. I was just waiting to get on the internet after the episode and just see everybody (laughs) blowing up about it. But I was with you. I was ready to accept it as much as I would have hated it. That would have been a really poignant way for him to go. I mean, my best favorite legend deaths or characters that i wish would have lived on but they were my favorite deaths man and that would have been it i would have been like i, I don't think that there would have been anything that could have knocked this episode down from number one had rex died
1: sacrifice self-sacrifice
4: yeah. that's the ultimate
2: absolutely
1: thing do. because and, his death would have meant something
2: yeah and it's he would Santa have Claus. given his
1: life to save specifically kanan and ezra which is in some ways the ultimate penance that he can make for all the clones who took the lives of the jedi
5: Oh yeah. And it's Santa Claus dying at Christmas time. That hurts. So had he died, Mark would have probably cried until he puked. No, I I was right (laughs) there with you. I was concerned for the character. I didn't expect them to kill him just yet because what would have been the spin out of that? You would have wound up with Kanan then having the the traditional, well, I guess he wasn't so bad after all. I only wish I could have told him kind of moment. And I was kind of hoping they were going to avoid that. But yeah, for once, Rex feels like he's in real peril. Why? Because it's not his show. We never really once felt like Rex was in peril back in the Clone Wars. Now he is. Same thing with Ahsoka. Nobody would have actually expected it. Well, okay, we talked about it quite a bit. But realistically, as long as the show was still going, folks weren't really expecting to see Ahsoka actually die in the Clone Wars. they find some way to shuffle her off or make the death like the end of the series or something, some big sacrificial moment or something. But now... She's fair game because she's not technically part of this core group. And Rex is even less (laughs) on that pedestal in a sense. I I would be concerned. In fact, it kind of makes me wonder if the reason why they've designed him to be still kind of the pudgy, out of shape guy to some extent. And they keep referencing that with the jokes that he is the weak link. That when it comes down to it, when somebody has to die, it'll wind up being Rex. I mean, you look at the group and who else could they sacrifice that would have meaning to see die that they wouldn't be shooting themselves in the foot for the series dynamic as a whole. I mean, who, Sato? Who gives a crap about Sato dying? No offense to him. You can't wind up killing off Bale. I mean, really the, the sacrificial lambs that are just sitting there in the pen ready to go are Ahsoka and Rex. Are you saying that Rex is porkins? Oh. Ho, 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 ho. <laughs> you don't have to you don't have to, you know, disrespect Rex like that. I mean, come on.
1: Let's think about it now.
5: We kind of
1: suspect or know that Kanan and Ezra aren't getting out of this. That by the time of, okay, maybe not episode four, but certainly episode five and definitely episode six, that Kanan and Ezra are gone. They're not there. Yoda tells Luke that he is the last of the Jedi, that there's nobody else there. So I still take that as, you know, Ahsoka, Kanan, and Ezra are not getting out of this alive.
5: That's too deep for me, man. I don't know if I can go there yet. <laughs> I would agree, but I would also fall back on the whole Obi-Wan and Yoda tended to lie when it suited them to Luke, too.
4: All right. The only thing I want to ask about this episode is why did they have to color Chopper? Does it matter what? that he's a different color?
2: Is that going to fool anybody? I want that the Chopper in. Indescri- yeah, it did. It, it fooled Taylor. I want that as a toy. I want that toy bad. Tay, it fooled you?
3: Yeah. So in the middle of that part, I was like, I thought at first that Chopper was orange. And I'm like, wasn't Chopper orange? And Gavin, my brother, said, yeah, he's just painted. And I'm like, wait, why would they paint him? And then he explained it that it was because they were in the enemy's base and stuff.
2: Camouflage.
3: Yeah.
5: They sure do paint him a lot, though. I mean, (laughs) yeah, but they've done that like crap when they take the paint
1: back off. They've done that before, you know, they, when yeah. he snuck on to the Imperial uh, communication ship, they painted him. And it's not paint. It's just like a wrap, you know, like you do on a car.
2: <laughs> yeah. And it's the same one as that. I mean, it was the same styling. I think he's had a different one than that one that we've seen. But that was the Imperial paint scheme. And I, since they first showed that in the one episode you referenced, Jonathan, I hope that we get that as a figure. Otherwise, I'm going to have to custom make one.
4: Yeah, yeah, give me a two-pack of Chopper in that paint scheme and Captain Rex in the uh, Stormtrooper armor.
5: i take that oh. any day. It wouldn't be Rebels Roundtable recently without Barret saying, give me a two-pack of... Oh. <laughs> Which is good. Well, I mean,
1: so Rex in Stormtrooper armor with slightly bulging plates?
5: Yeah. Or or it's, it's Rex as a figure without the armor, and they give you the pieces of armor to put on him, but they don't fit right? Like like the belly one doesn't actually snap on. (laughs) Now, did
2: anyone else catch that Chopper actually had a How I Met Your Mother Barney reference with the wait
5: for it? I wouldn't have called it a reference for that, but I did like the wait for it. (laughs) I thought that was so funny. The other Uh, thing that I like as
1: far as references, and I, I spoke to it, when they're moving around the interdictor, especially in the core where Chopper and Ezra end up sabotaging, they have those troopers, that they're not gunners because they're not wearing black outfits. They're wearing gray outfits. And I knew I'd seen it before. And I went back and looked, and they're actually from Battlefront 2. Everybody talks about the new Battlefront game that's come out recently. But back in Battlefront 2, there was a character that you could play, an Imperial engineer that
5: had that gunner's helmet, but oh, gray uniform. Oh, man. So... Well, no, I, I think these were like tan uniforms instead of gray, because if you look at the episode guide, they say these are the design basically of the Death Star Gunner characters. But because they're working on an experimental vessel, they have a different color to their outfit with the different symbol on the shoulders. I'm hoping that's it. Yeah. And it's just similar to Battlefront 2. Otherwise, we just got what we got with the Havoc slash Banshee slash Shadowcaster again, where they're giving credit to themselves, but not to Legends for something that's a Legends theme. I, I think aren't these like more tan than gray? I thought they were more gray. See, what jumped out to me was the logo because the logo on the arms were
2: like an orangish yellow and on their forehead was a yellow yellow. And I was like, okay, but on the other one, the ones on their arms were white. And so that's interesting, Jonathan. I wouldn't put that together. We'll have to definitely check into that, though. Well, to wrap things up,
1: I have to say again that this is hands down my favorite episode of season two. And it's really the sort of storytelling and the sort of dynamic that I really had hoped we were going to get from day one. But if they can keep this up and continue it the rest of the season, I think I'll be happy. What about you guys?
5: It's a fantastic episode. And I don't know how they keep up this level of momentum and this level of humor. But if they can, terrific. And if not, this just becomes one of the high points in the season. And I'm kind of okay with both.
3: Yeah, like you guys were saying, but this was my favorite episode so far, and I actually really hope they continue to make more humorous episodes because it was hilarious getting videos of my dad almost puking to death.
2: Yeah, I'm with her on that. Like the humor on this was right up my alley, you know, as and, and Nathan to have you call out four rooms because that was exactly the level of humor for me. Uh, when Ezra starts talking about, you know, I- I'm sorry about this for the escape all the way till after Chopper's playing the footage and Rex says, you know, you should put it to kill. That whole scene just was where I was like, I my laugh just kept compounding and compounding till the point where my lungs were coming up through my esophagus. But, oh man, the humor there, you know, between not just Kanan and Rex but between Chopper and the rest of the group like that's the one thing this show really has going for it is you get any of the main cast off together and the humor back and forth it really works like we talked before about last season how I had that family vibe well the humor here there's something about it that just really fits and resonates with my soul I really get a kick out of it and this episode everything that they had going on with the whole Jedi and the clones working side by side with the whole I'll grab them pull them you fire you know everything about that. And then with the end with Kanan saluting Rex and Rex saluting him with Kanan turning around saying, I'm going back for my friend. There were so many moments in this that had my emotions just raw you know with Rex having his scream and stuff I was ready for him to go I don't know if any other episodes can deliver this type of feeling again but I've also felt that way with other episodes and yet now here I stand going this is the best so I'm looking forward to some more epicness coming our way with this stuff but this was a really high bar episode guys
4: well you know it's hard to call any of these episodes bad episodes when you have this level of animation Or CGI, whatever you want to call it. I mean, every episode is gorgeous, even the not so exciting ones. So when you have an episode that feels like this, that is Star Wars, you know, that's action packed, has a story, has humor, has everything you want, ends with a Star Destroyer blowing up. You got everything that you want. So it was a good episode. I think that we will have more episodes like this. I mean, Vader's got to come back. We've got to have more Inquisitors back. So we're going to have some more amazing episodes coming up. And this is just wetting our appetite for what could be. And I appreciate
1: what they're doing. And with any luck, we're going to see that episode that you're talking about next week. The preview shows us we've got the Inquisitors back, we've got Ahsoka in some lightsaber action, and we have a baby Ithorian? Guess we're going to have to wait and see. But until next time, I want to thank you guys for discussing this one with me. And as always, long live the
0: Rebellion. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Wars Reports Rebels Roundtable. Rebels Roundtable is hosted by Jonathan, Barrett, Jen, Nathan, Mark, and Dan. Interact with us online at Facebook.com rebelsroundtable Rebels Roundtable or on Twitter at Rebels Round. Also, be sure to visit RebelsRoundtable.com when looking for an episode directory of the show. The Rebels Roundtable team is proud to carry on the legacy of Enganza Media's Republic Forces Radio Network podcast. We invite you to visit republicforces.com's archive section to hear many of the team members' thoughts on the Clone Wars, Droids, Ewoks, and the Clone Wars micro-series. And check out Star Wars Beyond the Films the official Expanded Universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com, which you can find among the 2nd Airborne Division podcast network at StarWarsReport.com. Star Wars Rebels and all that the Star Wars universe contains is the intellectual property of the Walt Disney Company, and no infringement is intended. Star Wars Reports Rebels Roundtable is copyright 2014, all rights reserved.
1: Hello and welcome to another fun-filled episode of the original Rebels Roundtable. Yeah, The original Rebels Roundtable, the official... St- oh my god! What? I hear the...
4: Yeah, it but sounds it's like there's like bad. a good
2: breeze outside your house or something. Or like you're by a creek. Or a tornado. <laughs>
4: okay, let me see. What? <laughs> And I do like the indictor. Is that what it's called?
1: Interdictor. Inter.
4: Interd- you know, I don't know why I can't say that. I say that name with this. St- I can't say it with a straight face. But <laughs>
1: <laughs> his name was
2: Inter, and he- <laughs> that's wrong. That's wrong. Try it's to- not an interdictor. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll let you
4: say it, Mark. But uh, they should have gave it an easier name. Try to say that three times.
5: <laughs> and somebody just. It's blinking at me. What happened? Uh, hold on. Could Ketsu be Zare's uh, sister? No, she could not. Because we already know what happens with Zare's sister thanks to servants of the Empire. Jonathan. He's like, damn it. No, I know. I just, it was funny. He's just trying to mess with me. Although it'd be A funny if bit. it turns out that he has like more than one Zera shows. They're like, what'd you do to your hair?
4: We don't all look the same, Jonathan.
5: <laughs> <laughs> even in, Even <laughs> in
4: animated form.
5: Will you please
3: stop talking?